Welcome to my basement, everybody. I'm here with one of my favorite people in the video game industry. I've talked to this man several times in uh, my career. He's had an incredible career. Harvey Smith is here. Uh, probably still a little bit tired from all of the fine, fine work on Dishonored 2. Congratulations on that game. Yeah, thank you. Uh, hats off to my team in Lyon. I think it's the best work we've ever done. Uh, just an amazing experience living in France for four years and working on Dishonored 2. Yeah, okay, well I want to talk a little bit about Dishonored 2, uh, getting that game uh, sort of cooking. You, I, I'm sure that the reception to the first one, which was an out-of-nowhere surprise, it was our Game of the Year winner that year. Love that freaking franchise that you have built for us now. Were you prepared and sort of kind of conscious that uh, you know all signs were pointing towards you guys doing a, a sequel? when you were in the throes of building that first one? No, I mean, Rafael Colantonio and I, the co-creative director and the founder of Arcane, we worked very hard on Dishonored with a bunch of people in Austin and Lyon. Uh, and honestly, we just loved what we were doing. It was a bit of an homage to games like Thief or Deus Ex. Uh, but it ended up having its own deep world, its yeah. own unique identity. And when it turned out to be a hit, we were just like, this is amazing, you know, so it's, it's great. This whole concept of you guys having a dual city studio, that yeah. is one company, correct, Arcane? Yeah. Uh, but you guys switched places? Uh, or is, I mean, that's what it looked like from the outside, but uh, you moved to Lyon, and Raphael, was he already in Austin? Or Yeah. yeah? Uh, a number of years ago, I've been with Arcane like eight years now. It's yeah. the longest I've been with any company, the longest I've had any job in my life, which wow. is kind of shocking <laughs> uh, when I finally realized that. But uh, Raph relocated to Austin many years ago because that's where the Ultima games were made, that's where Deus Ex was made, and he wanted to spin up a second studio uh, for Arcane. Mm. And so for a while we collaborated between the two continents. We did a lot of prototyping in Austin, video conferencing, traveling, etc. Uh, and at some point we got big enough where Raph wanted to do his own game, I wanted to do my own game, and so I wanted to do... Dishonored 2. I was super psyched about it. And the only way to really make that happen was to move to France. Mm. Meanwhile, he's an American citizen now. He's permanently in Austin. He loves Austin. And uh, he grew the team in Austin large enough to do Prey. And uh, <clears throat> when I first signed on with Arcane, I brought in level designers from Deus Ex days and uh, Seth Shane, the designer that we had hired at Midway. We, we, we basically added a few of my favorite people mm. to his company, you know, that he had founded and grew Arcane to be something new, so. That's amazing. Tell me about uh, Lyon. Um, I mean, that now is yeah. a home for you, right? So yeah. you've moved now, you've moved back to Austin, but yeah. what does France and specifically Lyon mean, mean to you now? You know, it's crazy. Like, I've been in games 23 years, and during that time, I mostly have lived in Texas, but I moved away to California for a while. I love California. I'm almost like the transplant guy who has California as my religion tattooed on my arm because yeah. so many of my values around culture, food, politics, California reflects very well. Uh, but at, at another point, I lived in Germany for three years, and now I've lived in France for four years. And when you think about it, that's like... It's not quite a tenth of my life, but mm. it's like, I, looking back on it, it's like maybe a twelfth of my life or mm. something, and it's like, that's shocking. I didn't expect that, you know, but I love France. It's an amazing country. The people are crazy cool, like one part uh, very creative and tapped into art and all that, and one part just very humanitarian, like mm. their views about solidarity and people and helping the the most vulnerable people in society and all, it's its a very strong, we'll see what happens at their next election when Marine Le Pen yeah, is running, but yeah. uh, I know some people are worried, but like in general, they have a very good heart. And the food is excellent, the wine is amazing. 
and so I just had a really good time living there. Now that said, about halfway through, I started getting homesick, and we were working so hard on Dishonored 2, the team really put their heart and soul into it, that uh, I was ready to come back by the end of the project. Okay, all right, so uh, you make the move back, had you brought your the whole family over there? I don't. Do you have wife and kids, and or like the whole thing? Everybody transplanted over there, or so my wife and I like at the end of uh, Dishonored. Uh, I was talking to Raf in a meeting, and I was like, "Man, we're we're looking at how he was going to do his next game with Austin, and how I was going to work with the Leon team, and how that would work." And I, I had in the back of my head, "What if I just moved to Leon?" And I didn't say anything at the time because I didn't want to get him excited. <laughs> So, because it was the solution to a production problem gotcha. that we were having. Gotcha. So I texted her. I was like, "You want to move to France?" And she was like, "We'll talk about this tonight." And so I was like, "Well, that's a no." <laughs> and I, I got home that night, and she was bouncing off the walls. She was that's... like, "Are we moving to France?" I was like, "Do you want to move to France?" And so we made the decision, and we moved there together. And we spent four years. Like we had like five different apartments while we were there. We moved. We had temporary apartments. We moved around a bit. Yeah. Saw the city. Really lived in the city. Miss our friends there, miss the restaurants that we used to go to and the coffee shop and all that. But at the end of the day, Austin is home. We were yes. very tapped into a bunch of developers there and indie developers. Uh, They're begging you to come back. And yeah, and yeah. so we were both native Texans. And so even though politics in the U.S. is uh, the dog's breakfast right now, uh, and Texas is a weird place, Austin feels like home. And so, yeah. you know, we both moved there, we moved back. So. Well, clearly the city would need somebody with that kind of, uh, you know, attitude, I think, right now, too, right? Texas needs its little blue dot. <laughs> yes, it does, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so what do you say to people out there that maybe have that opportunity to relocate, you know, and, yeah. and live in different cities in the world and stuff? Is, is, it, is it something we all should do? You know, I wish I could uh, encourage like more people to do that. Like a lot of yeah. people do it for college or whatever, right? But that's you're talking about like a privileged group of people that probably would do it anyway already, and mm. so they, and they probably already have a, a worldview that sees other cultures and empathy for other people and realizes, oh, our way of doing it is not the only way, and it's not the best way sometimes. Um, but the people who need it the most, I think, are the people who are least likely to have the opportunity, actually. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's mind expanding. As a poor blue collar kid growing up on the Texas Gulf Coast, my dad worked in chemical plants and all that. My only way of doing that was like, I joined the Air Force when I was 20 and I lived in Germany for over three years. And that was like mind expanding. Yeah. Um, and so now I'm, in, I, I'm very, very lucky. And so I had the opportunity to do it with France much later. It's like twice I've lived outside the U.S. And the Germans are amazing people. The German food is amazing. Uh, and uh, the German beer is amazing. And the French are amazing people. The French food and the French wine, those, those are crazy. And what? I'm back in Austin, though, which is a cocktail city. And I am so happy about that. Like, <laughs> you, you, go, you travel where the booze takes you, it seems. That's <laughs> yeah, I sound like a booze <laughs> hound now. I'm not, actually. Uh, but, and it, I only talk about food and alcohol on these shows. Like, no, no, no. you gotta, you got to stay alive, right? <laughs> yeah, you got to yeah. enjoy your life, too. Yeah, right. But this traveling and this living and, and sort of, uh, you know, soaking up culture, that informs a game like Dishonored, right? Because that's what comes from Dishonored when you're playing it is the... Uh, you know the tactility, the the sense of being able to touch the history of these uh, these uh, you know locations and these uh, these vistas and these yeah. these moments in the game that you've you've built up. Yeah, I mean, like you could look at our team many different ways in Lyon. You could look at the gameplay programmers, the game designers, the animators, as people informed by like 
the layer of tech across the world, whether you're in Japan or California or, or Lyon, you know techniques about how to model faces or how to animate characters or how to make AI. You could look at it like that. They're a class of people who have educated themselves in a field and it doesn't matter where they are geographically. Right. But then you could also slice it by where are they geographically. And specifically when I look at our art team, I feel that way, led by Sebastian Mitton, one of my friends and an amazing guy, but so many amazing people on the art team. And there is a really strong French tradition of um, giving every scene, <laughs> no, that would be fun. Yeah. But giving every scene like a, a layer of history where you can look at the wall mm. and see like what happened here before, and it's uh, uh, they care very much about that coherent. Uh, but but also every little thing that they're going to do, they're going to do a chair, they're going to give it a little extra touch, a little extra love, and so uh, yeah, it's a it's a, an amazing experience working with people from different cultures. That's awesome. I, how long did it take to come up with the the tone, the look? of Dishonored, because that's one of the, the things that really, you know, makes that game special is the, yeah. you know, the, the, the stylistic enhancements that you've crafted on your people and and the world. Yeah, so my uh, biggest influences over Dishonored were probably more narrative and game systems, mm -hmm. working with Raphael on the first one, working with uh, Dinga Bacaba and a group of people on the second one. Uh, but that said, I worked very closely with the artists too, um, and the artists really led that part, where it, you know, we'd collaborate with them on the lore and the narrative and all, but they really led the look and feel. Mm. And so we, Raph and I started talking about 1666 London, like a very, like not in Dunwall, but set in London. The the year of the great fire and the last year of the plague, mm. not coincidentally. Mm -hmm. um, but more and more, Sebastian Maton and Victor Antonoff at the time and Jean-Luc Monet, our assistant art director, really kind of pushed uh, the game in a different direction. We have all these amazing concept painters. Sergei Kolsov, if you don't know his name, look it up. Like we, we have all of these amazing people working with us and they all have added something to our 1850s kind of pseudo alt reality. And on this project, I worked with Sashka Duval, our narrative designer, and she, she came in as a fan of the first game and just added a lot to the second game. So I really feel like we've we stumbled into, or that's the wrong term, but like we found something. Yeah. And then with the second game, we, we refined it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the game was incredibly well received. Um, it, you know, there was news around the, the sales not sort of living up yeah. to the first game's sort of level or the expectations that right. were surrounding a sequel. Has that started to lift up based on uh, good word of mouth and people uh, you yeah. know, saying that this is absolutely worth your time? These games are, both games are really well received. I mean, when I think about the fact that in eight years, Arcane made Dishonored 1, Dishonored 2, and is about to release Prey, we're incredibly proud of those. For sure. The players are super hardcore, they're way into it. Uh, and I think the game will do fine long term because they have a very long tail. Yep. People keep finding value in them. The art style never ages, and That's the gameplay right. is very good. And you can play it many times. And so people keep hearing about these games, and they keep playing them and buying them. We still encounter people that are discovering Dishonored 1. So yep. I think long term it'll be fine. but. Talking to people across the industry, like... It was a weird year last things year, Things right? that shipped yeah. around November, there was a big distracting event. I don't know what it could have been. Yeah. Uh, and even the NFL analysts were saying that, like, football viewership was down because everybody was so distracted by this horrible time of yeah. political the, conflict the and divisiveness shock. and the yeah. shock of Trump winning and all yeah. that. So, yeah, so, but in the end, uh, we're very happy with the game and I think long-term it'll do fine. So. That's great. You've left Leon. You're working in Austin again. So yeah. that 
I mean, that is going to raise a lot of questions about, you know, what happens with Dishonored now. Is that is that it? Are we going to uh, see more from that world? Yeah, so we're fully focused on getting Prey out the door right now. It's not my game, but I'm playtesting constantly and giving comments to Seth, Ricardo, Susan, uh, Raph. I almost forgot Raph. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're guiding that game. It's been their game. They've been working on it while we and Leon were working on uh, Dishonored 2, but... Um, you know, we haven't talked about anything for the future, but rest assured, like, uh, Arcane is still one company. We're, we're all uh, in it together, and uh, when we have something to say about what we're going to do next, we'll, we'll, we'll give you the information. You gotcha. Know, so. Is it a, still a two-team company right now? Yeah, we it is. So you haven't put some development over to Lyon on Prey, or is there, it, is it kind of divvied up that way? People have helped out. Like Dishonored One was very much split. Mm. Like <clears throat> entire sub teams were split across two continents, right? Like the level designers, some of them were with Ricardo Bear in Austin, and some of them were with Christophe Carrier in Lyon. Yeah, uh, it was very split like that. It was a co-development for Dishonored Two and, and Prey. It was really distinct teams. However, once in a while, having a guy like Christoph come in and play Prey and comment on the level design is obviously a, a, a power, a superpower that our company has. Like, having Raf come in and play test our combat or check out our AI, like, we got invaluable insight from an immersive sim guy with a lot of experience in that area. Right. Similarly, me playing Prey and commenting for the last couple of months and giving them a, a ream of, uh, you know, uh, feedback is very valuable to them. Uh, and so once in a while we loan them our UI guy or uh, our Dingo Bakawa goes over to playtest the, the combat or the, you know, the These names the movement. you've been spouting are just all incredible, by the way. Yeah. They, I mean, they're, they're, there's imagery just on the names you've mentioned. I've worked with so many, I mean, like, that, that is one interesting thing about Arcane is <laughs> yeah. it's not just a bunch of French guys. Yeah. Like, like uh, Dinga is from Paris, but uh, one of his parents is from the Ivory Coast. Mm -hmm. And like uh, we've got uh, Florian and multiple Laurents and uh, uh, Francois. You know, we have all these names that I don't normally work with. You yeah. know, Joachim, and uh, it's awesome. That is really uh, yeah. cool. Yeah, that is really cool. But we have we have Russians. We have a Dutch guy. We have um, we had somebody from Austria, Andy Schmoll. Uh, you know, we had a lot of French guys too. To be fair, though, Jerome yeah. Brown and all these guys that grew up in France. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's a, multi, uh, a a mixing pot of Europeans mostly, and an American or two. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. You've seen this business change like crazy mm -hmm. over the last yeah. two decades or so. Um, there almost has been kind of. Um, I don't know, like a mass bailout to go and work in the mobile space from the traditional kind of game development scene. How do you feel about it right now? Is everything healthy? Are you able to do the games that you want to do? Are people that you know across the industry in a, in a good space right now? Or is, this, is everybody kind of walking on tight ropes? I wrote this science fiction novel that no one will ever see yeah. right before I got into games. It was like the first time I tried a novel link thing and then I'd put it in a closet because it's like, you know, full of cliches and tropes. But the one thing I remember from it is I had this line. Uh, the roads of time are paved with the bones of the prophets. Uh, yeah. So I like try never <laughs> to very predict good. the future now because who knows? Yeah. Uh, that said, uh, it's a diverse industry more than it has been before. Yeah. It's flourishing in many different sectors. There's VR, AR, there's mobile, 
Uh, there's esports, uh, there's shooters, there are RPGs. I mean, I went through times where like executives would tell me things like first person games don't sell or RPGs are dead. And it's like, whatever, there's always a hunger for, for that. And so somebody will make it. Even if you don't fund it, someone's going to go, you know what, we're going to make the game ourselves. Yeah. And so I don't know what's going to happen. Like the bottom could fall out from under it mysteriously, but it seems vibrant and healthy and interesting. And uh, uh, if, there, if there's any problem right now, it's there's too much stuff to play and watch. Yeah. You know, like friends are constantly like, oh, you got to watch uh, Westworld, which I still haven't seen. Yeah. Or you got to watch AO. And I was like, man, I just finished The Americans. I'm yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. you know, I don't have time for any of this. And that doesn't even cover games. Like, I'm playing Human Resource Machine right now on my phone, which is like brilliant. I love it. And uh, I've been playing Prey. It's the game I can't stop thinking about. Honestly, yeah. it's one of the best games I've ever played. And I say that in awe of the people who made it because I didn't, I didn't make it. It's not my game. Yeah. Um, but uh, like, I can't even get to all the games. I really wanted to play Far Cry Primal. I never even got to it. <laughs> yeah. I want to play the new Hitman. I didn't even get to it. I've been hearing Destiny finally turn this corner where I would really like it, you know. And I was like, I want to play Destiny. Yeah. So I'm halfway through a giant Fallout 4 playthrough. I'm 85% of the way through Inside, and the award show spoiled it for me last oh, night. Oh, no. So, yeah. Shit. Uh, I had heard yeah. from people like, wait till you get to the ending. There's something crazy at the ending. And like, they showed it like five times on <laughs> the award show. It's like, okay. <laughs> I, I'll probably finish it anyway, but like, yeah. there's so much competing for our attention. Yeah. Um, the election was like an entertainment event that sucked up a lot of time still going on man. still going on I yeah know. So. it's good for the news business not good for too much other stuff yeah not right? good for my heart honestly yeah, yeah yeah so what do you say to the young ones out there that are you know looking to you for wisdom and advice and uh, stuff like how do they get in and how do they get their stuff noticed and what yeah. do they do at this point uh, I think one of the best things going on is that tools are everywhere, right? Grab Unity. You can you can find assets in the asset store for a reasonable price. Look at the new Unreal. You know, there's there's tools out there to make games with. Um, and one of the best things going on is that the way you differentiate yourself is to do something personal. Yeah. Um, you know, there are many people going to make an RPG. But uh, let's say you live in the Rust Belt and you want to make an RPG set in the Rust Belt after the decay of the industry there. Like, I can't do that because I've never lived in the Rust Belt. You right. know I mean? Like, uh, let's say you want to make a, a that game. That would be a very appropriate game to make right about that'd now. That would be cool, it? wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. I'd play that game. Yeah. A Kentucky Route Zero, but set in, you know, in uh, uh, the Rust Belt. Like, yeah, but like, you know, your family dynamics, nobody has had exactly yours. And if they have, that will resonate with them, you know? So. Uh, identity is a huge way to differentiate, I think. Yeah, yeah, very cool. You're a, a person that has been able to work on, you know, pretty massive game to massive game and massive idea for massive idea. You haven't stayed, like you said, still for that long in this business. And I'm wondering what is the fire now for you? Is it more dishonored or you, yeah. do you have something else cooking that is brand new that obviously we're not gonna get the whole thing on right now, but what's percolating? Yeah, it's it's always interesting for me because for a long time I, I moved every three years. I either changed jobs or I changed companies or I changed big roles inside the company. I got divorced at one point. Like every three years it was some huge shakeup. And yeah. what I've been trying to do lately, and I guess I moved to France Four years ago and now I'm moving back so that still counts every mm -hmm. three or four years I need some huge change mm -hmm. but I've been trying to do that within the 
constraints of keeping my life from blowing up, you know. Right. So it's uh, it's felt good to have some additional stability. That said, um, you know what motivates you when you turn 50 and you've worked on a bunch of games, and some of them have bombed, and some of them have done very well. We've won we've won Game of the Year multiple times. Like I said, in eight years we did Dishonored One, Dishonored Two, now Prey. Yeah, I'm known for the Deus Ex games and the and the Dishonored games. Um, but I tell you, there is still a fire, and that is just as you start to figure it out in video games, you begin to realize you only have so many years left. Yeah. You know, like how many years can I be working on games? Will I be working on games at 60? Yeah. In 10 years? Mm. Uh, 65, maybe. Maybe that'll be the trend then. Maybe yeah. that'll be what we're all talking about. Yeah. Can you believe we're all 60? Like, you know, that'd be amazing. <laughs> Uh, a bunch of grandmas and grandpas and stuff making games would be cool and interesting. I, I fully believe that we're the, you know, one of the first generations to just keep playing all that way. Yeah. Right. I can't see myself ever not wanting to play games. Right. right. I, I'm the same. I yeah. mean, like every now and then someone does something like when Shadow of Mordor came out and the Nemesis system. I was like, holy cow, that is really cool. Yes. And they've doubled down on it for the new game. You yeah. know. So, uh, No Man's Sky, the indie game, like. Uh, was interesting enough when it came out, but now, now they've added all this additional stuff. The very personal uh, Gone Home, yeah. uh, big games like Prey or Dishonored, uh, you know, there's, um, I remember when Dead Rising came out and it was so weird, but it was an American mall. Yeah. So it's so familiar, but so weird. Yeah. Like It's like I, I'm looking forward to the new State of Decay. There's just like, always something on the horizon like the fact that I'm obsessed with human resource machine right now on my phone uh, I can't see a time when I'm not gonna feel like looking at the setting the art style the way they deliver the narrative the new systems they came up with or the refinement of the old ones yeah uh, it's fascinating you know it's great so yeah maybe we will be 65 but anyway my point was you feel that clock ticking mm. like I now have this ability to like see the interesting part of the game and articulate it and like I know the pitfalls of this system or that system and I know we should drop all this like accreted stuff because it's not the interesting part of the game let's focus on that I, I have this like experience level now yeah just as I'm also hitting 50 and I realize maybe I only have 10 years left you know like, yeah. so you begin to feel this desperation of like damn it, I want to do something cool again. You know, I want to reach players in a better way. Right. And uh, that is very motivational for me. That's awesome. It doesn't sound to me like that's a sequel. <laughs> just I don't, just interpreting, but it yeah. does. It sounds like there's there might be something new in this, you know, this new switch up that you have done. This uh, opportunity with Dishonored 2, I was working on a sequel, right? So yeah. Raph and I had made new IP with Dishonored 1, with you know everybody on the team. It was a wild experience because you go from day one, no one has heard of the thing you're working on. They right. don't know what it is. Yeah. What? 1850s? Pseudo-Victorian <laughs> alt history? Well, I remember those early interviews. You were just spewing all the lore, and I'm like, yeah. I don't know what the hell he's saying. <laughs> I don't understand any of this. Whale oil is probably all I got. And then you play yeah, the exactly. game. It's like, oh, you see how it all clicks and fits. Yeah. And you just, you're like, there's, you see. Yeah. That's, I think, one of the issues with games sometimes, right? right. Like when, especially when you're new to something, like mm -hmm. Horizon Zero Dawn. It's like, yeah. Holy shit, shut up it? for a second. I yeah. don't get all of this all at the same time like that. It takes well, a, as, a while, right? As writers or communicators or media people, we tend to talk a lot. Yeah. And then you see a picture and people say a picture's worth a thousand words. Yeah. If that's true, a single mission is worth a million. Because yeah. you play the mission and you're like, 
you know, a single mission is worth a million words because you, you play the mission and you're like, now I get it. You yeah. know, I see the core loop. I see what the setting, uh, I see who I am as a, an agent in the world. Um, and so, yeah, for the second game, we didn't have to spew so many words. But it has its own challenges. Like, how do you sequel a game? Do you change it radically? Because if you do, mm. you leave behind the patterns that people loved from the first one. Yes. If you don't change it at all, they go, ah, 1.5. Yeah. You know, like, what do you do? How yeah. much do you change? Yeah. And I had gone through this experience where with Warren Spector and the team, we worked on Deus Ex 1, and we were quite surprised and happy with the results of that. We had found a pattern that people really loved. And then we worked on Deus Ex 2, and one of our motivations there, one of our driving motivations was not to repeat ourselves and we probably listened to the people that said inside baseball like don't just do the same thing again too much and yeah. we change things too much yeah um and so for dishonored 2 i was very conscious of that like there's a pattern here that people dig yeah like how do we stay true to that but we bring enough freshness to it you know there's the designer in the 50s raymond lowey mm. who had this concept that was like the most familiar you can make it but the most new at the same time or a better way to articulate is probably the most the most new thing that you can give somebody while keeping it familiar, because right. that's really what they want. Right. And that's uh, kind of what the new Zelda has accomplished. Which, okay. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm curious to hear your thought. I know you haven't played it yet. When you do, I'm yeah. probably in 2019 by your schedule here. Yeah, yeah. But I'm curious to catch up with you again to see your thoughts on that. You know. Yeah, great. Uh, if it's a good game, I'll definitely look at it. Uh, yeah. I'm excited about it. Um, but uh, how you sequel something is as tricky as making new IP for sure. And yeah. I, I feel like Dishonored 2 was an opportunity to try that again, yeah. you know, after the Deus Ex 1 and 2 experience. And I feel like we did feel like some of the best work I've ever done, you know, so it's, uh, and the team, some of the best work they've ever done. Together we, Absolutely. We, yeah, we, we, we did something we're very proud of. But um, yeah, so whether the new thing is brand new IP or it's a sequel, uh, it will be challenging. <laughs> <laughs> it all is, right? The, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. tech gets harder. Yeah. Yep. The team, Everything. The, the team, team gets, gets bigger. hungrier and bigger. Yeah, yes. Right. Well, let's talk pray for a minute here. Okay. I'm going to talk to Raf and get some real detail okay. about everything. But uh, give us some insight about what, you know, because this is a game that's gone through a whole bunch of turmoil itself. Just the, yeah. the, like we've been waiting for something on this for a long time. And it's new for Arcane. N not a new game, but yeah. a new that it's coming out from Arcane. What was the reinvention and the vision, and what have you been able to see so far? Yeah, so after we finished Dishonored 1, Raph uh, was like, I really want to make uh, the game that is one contiguous space, which we both love, but he was really driven by that. Yeah. And obviously with Dishonored, it's discrete missions where you fade to black and you fade up, and a week might have passed or two days, you don't know. Yeah. Uh, with the contiguous space, you, in Prey, you can like leave through one airlock, search the exterior spacewalking of the station, Talos 1, find a rift in the side and enter the space station again and like approach the entire level from the opposite side or something. You know, mm -hmm. it's really a traversable space where you live in this ecology and you, you fight aliens and you try to, uh, try to solve your problems, you're running low on things but, uh, uh, but being clever, you know, and, and then other moments you're just blasting your way through, you know, so it's like really interesting really dynamic, uh, repopulates itself in interesting ways. Uh, it is one of the best games I've ever played. I, th I find myself toying with my keys on the weekend, thinking about driving back up to the office <laughs> just so I can continue my playthrough. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Do you play it in your mind? I find the best yeah, games, right. you're not playing them physically, you're, you're still thinking yeah. about the... Uh... Honestly, that happens to me like once or twice a year where I just can't stop thinking about it. Yeah. And there was a moment the other day in Prey, I finished a playthrough across many builds 
uh, switching builds whenever necessary, but picking up where I left off more or less with cheat tools. But now I'm in a contiguous build, where I, meaning I stay on one build, one set of saves, and I try to go from beginning to end. And the first playthrough, I tried not to take any side powers. I was taking engineering, I had a wrench, I was fixing things, uh, I was hacking things, I was like setting up turrets and fortifying them. The new playthrough, I'm not taking any human skills, I'm only taking Psy. I'm using the psychoscope to scan Typhon aliens, and then stealing their powers, and then like, you know, using Psy powers. And so I'll find myself like, how do I get into that security station attached to the Arboretum because I don't have hacking and like what if I you know drop a banana mimic the banana roll the banana through the like guard slot will that work or you know they try all these different things it's it's crazy and That's so awesome it's a toy and a, an action game at the same time is this um, your rafts team kind of making a homage to Deus Ex in space no, it's, it's more like all of us share the same values. I mean, some of those people are people from the Deus Ex team that I added to Arcane, by the way. So, yeah, yeah. so there's definitely that DNA. And, but, but then there's the Arx Fatalis influence, and there were people that worked on the Bioshock games on that team. Uh, and there are certainly Dishonored veterans on that team as well. So it's very much right That's now. Pedigree, man. That I sounds think incredible. It's the torch being carried the way Irrational or Looking Glass or Ion Storm uh, carried the torch for this kind of game. Um, but uh, it's, it's really Raph's kind of Lynchian homage to System Shock, I think, is, awesome. is the best way to put it. You know? Unbelievable. You can see why this man is one of my favorite people to talk with. It's always an, an unbelievable pleasure, yeah. my friend. Speaking of illustrious careers, I feel like I could be interviewing you. Tell me about <laughs> the first time you did an interview with a game developer who lied to you. You know, like well, there's so many things I want to ask you. I, uh, you know, I got that comment actually uh, this year. I got that it was a, it was a freaky thing for me mm. because I've been interviewing developers and I was yeah. at your studio for the first day of okay. sex and we shot sequences where yeah. we pretended that uh, Tommy had augments and was lifting things with one hand uh, and yeah. Warren Spector played along with us. I'm sure we had you <laughs> in the thing. It was just crazy, but I, that's all flashing back to me now. Yeah. But uh, I had somebody comment on one of our vids on YouTube saying, why do you talk to developers? They're all fucking liars. And I, that just shocked the hell out of me because that's been my career is to go yeah, and talk right. to developers who yeah. don't, don't know how all of this stuff is always going to turn out, but right. they just dream big. And they like that yeah. stuff that happened with Sean Murray last year was just, it was awful. Like I was just yeah. demonized for dreaming and the stuff we've seen right. with Peter Molyneux and stuff like that over the years. It's like, come on guys. Yeah. You know, yep, yeah, they, they may have bigger aspirations than are achievable, but it comes from a place of yeah. Don't you find? Like, they're trying to get there. Yeah, know? for sure. I mean, once in a while, there's pressure to, like, put a more positive spin on things, of course, or stay on message or whatever. Yeah. But in general, when you talk to developers, you're talking to passionate craftspeople. You yeah. know, they're, you're talking to people that, like, desire to make something. And very often, you're talking to the press. Like, I ran into a bunch of problems with Midway and Blacksite, you know, which yeah. is a game I think, if it had had six or eight more months, could have been cool. Yeah. There was a political God, allegory. There was, a, there was the left trigger contextual squad commands mm -hmm. and morale system for the AI. You, you shot your way through neighborhoods in, in a suburban environment, gas stations and stuff. And it was like, it was interesting to me and it just got shipped like basically at alpha. But we did the press for that game like 10 months before it came out. And so we, we were asked to talk about things that will be true if everything goes well yes 
almost a year from and now. And if the budget is staying, yeah, is, and then so there to satisfy those things, yeah. And once somebody has you on camera saying that stuff, if the world changes out from under your feet, yeah, it's not like you have the power to say, "I'm sorry." At the time, yeah, don't run that, or you know, I'll quit or whatever. Maybe that's what I should have said or whatever. But like, developers are very often in a delicate situation talking about uh, the games. Yeah, yeah, it's a nutso thing, and we have moved away from talking with developers in a lot in a, in a larger yeah. sense. I feel to to just put eyes on streamers and, and esports athletes and stuff like that. Yeah. And I feel that's a, a very dangerous road because, you know, one of the things that I know that has happened with EP, because I've heard about it, is that I've, I, because we visited studios, we've inspired people to go off and join studios and become yeah. game makers. I didn't plan for that. That just was a an offshoot of being out there and meeting people like yourself, you yeah. know? And that's what I love to do. Right. Know? I mean, like, I think a lot of people don't... Uh, understand the value of critics and of people in the media mm. like uh, I was just talking about I did an interview with Chris Sullentrop mm. not long ago for Dishonored 2 and right away when I started talking to him I realized this guy is a badass yeah like he is informed about politics and sports and the racial dynamics of sports and history in the United States in a way that only people who have like written for the New York Times and have the education and have done the work to, to accrue that information uh, uh, have. And I was on my toes, and I left the interview thinking about things. What if we did this instead? What if we pushed ourselves a little further? That's great. There is a real value to that. Yeah. And you look at the history of music, you look at Lester Bangs. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you need somebody who can talk about the music in a way that the musicians can't, frankly. Yeah. Not to bust on the musicians, but yeah. they're not Lester Bangs, you know? Right. So you need that. Yeah, I've interviewed musicians, and it's a very different thing. It's a very different thing talking yeah. to filmmakers and musicians, yeah. and that's one of the reasons why I love my gig, is that it's allowed me to do that kind of yeah, but game makers are a special breed of human being. You know, they are a uh, special a very, snowflakes. You might even well, say. they're not. They're, I mean, they're they're about <laughs> systems. They're about figuring yeah. out how to build this mm. a, a world that we're familiar with. Yeah. yeah, but change it so that it's an escape for us. Yeah, and that ain't easy to do. You know. Yeah, and I feel like there's the transport part and the making the art and the making the characters and all that. But then there's also this like desperation we have as we realize we're at the beginning of this medium in a way. Yeah. And something like, you talk to my friend Clint Hawking about narrative design and it's like, we are devising systems that deliver narrative to you in different ways. And so you look at Firewatch this year, the indie game that won a lot of yeah, uh, awards. Fantastic. And it's like, you could have done that entire game in that very interesting setting with that very interesting art style. You could have done that entire game with Text. the guys carrying a walkie-talkie and occasionally mm. his partner communicates with him but instead what they decided to do was you can use the walkie-talkie to contact her at any point and she has a response or whatever that's innovation that's really interesting uh, that's inverting a very common trope in video games and so there's still so much low-hanging fruit yeah and uh, you can do so much with it that we're we're all kind of like have this desperate sense of like trying to keep up with the graphical arms race and the technology and uh, the bigger and bigger multiplayer environments like uh, let's keep doing something interesting on the character side and on the interactive side on the narrative side yeah yeah that's awesome I know we gotta we gotta let you go to your next one I don't okay. want to but we have to yeah Harvey <laughs> I, I love yeah. talking with you thank brother. you so much good to see you man yep thank you hey thanks for checking out that video on our EPN channel it's just one small part of the things that we make around here so if you liked it don't forget to check out some of our other vids and hit that subscribe button